Classical Christian education is growing around the world, and the influx of new students come to our schools with a range of distinct learning styles and even learning abilities. Dyslexia, it turns out, impacts more than 20% of students and more than 30 million adults just in the U.S. alone. And yet this different way of processing words and sounds, yes, it can certainly impact a student's experience, especially in our schools that are so heavily focused in the liberal arts. And yet there are ways to work through these challenges. In fact, sometimes those who are dyslexic are actually better thinkers and contributors to the classroom and to society. Any doubt, look into some folks like Albert Einstein, Leonardo da Vinci, and over half of NASA's employees. So how do we help welcome these students and add to the richness of our classical Christian schools? Leslie Collins is back to help us sort through these questions on this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it ancient future education for raising the next generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Well, welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here. Before we get started with this interview with Leslie Collins, it's always good just to speak personally to you, the listeners. I know that there is an, an audience that is growing for Basecamp Live because I love your emails that honestly come from the ends of the earth all over the place. And it's interesting how many of you are in startup schools, how many of you are in legacy schools, how many of you are brand new and just starting the Classical Christian Ed journey. We are so glad that you're listening, and we're grateful that these episodes are helpful to you as we come to you each week. You know, we try to balance each episode around three general topic areas. So if you've been around for long enough, maybe you're picking up on this pattern, but we can sometimes take on topics about just Classical 101. Why do we read the great books? And sometimes we'll take on a topic like Parenting 101, or maybe even 102 or 103, the likes of Keith McCurdy, who's often on. And we also like to look at what's happening in the broader culture as it impacts our families and our schools. We love to hear the topics that are in your mind. A lot of times episodes come because folks have emailed and said, hey, I would love to find the answer to a particular question that they're curious about. So info at Basecamp Live, love to hear from you. We are working on new elements to the show and even looking at maybe even bringing video back. We did that in our first couple years. So maybe occasionally even doing some live or recorded events on YouTube. Now I have to comb my hair, but that's okay. Seriously, we love hearing from you. Love your stories. The Climbers episodes are based just on simple interviews with those of you who are out there in the listening audience. These don't have to be dramatic Damascus Road stories. They can just be the impact that classical Christian education is having on your life and on your family. I would love to hear those wonderful words of encouragement. So drop me a line, info at basecamplive.com. I want to say thank you. This episode is brought to you by the folks over at CLT, Jeremy Tate and the team at the Classic Learning Test. The CLT is an amazing organization that exists to reconnect knowledge and virtue by providing meaningful assessments and connections to seekers of truth, goodness, and beauty. As we all know, the standardized testing world is anything but excellent these days. CLT has stepped in, not only offers standardized tests for college entry, but they're increasingly building a base of exams that help our families and our schools just assess students along the journey on the K-12 classical Christian journey. So check out the folks at the Classical Learning Test and their great resources that are actually based on the most enduring texts that have informed and shaped our society and the great books and the liberal arts tradition. They are one of us 
They're great people. Well, Leslie Collins is no stranger to Basecamp Live. She's been on numerous times. She has an amazing, huge heart for students of all abilities, and she wants them to be in our schools. Classical Christian education is for everyone, and we all know that as good as that sounds, it's not always super easy to pull off, especially in smaller schools with limited staff and limited resources, and even in bigger schools, it may not always be easy. But Leslie has been an amazing encourager. She's a great resource if you want to reach out to her. There are in the show notes details on how to contact her. I think there's even a QR code you can scan and get to her resources. But basically, Leslie and her husband, her story, she and her husband Dave have been working together in the, um, in the community of students with disabilities since 1987. And their focus was back then providing relief just for exhausted parents through child, child care and f- through friendship. And then when she graduated in 1991, she began focusing on starting programs to include these students in classrooms and in the local church. And by 1995, she became become the founding headmistress of Rockbridge Academy in Maryland, where she was also um, there as an inclusive kindergarten teacher and back um, and back then trying to just help break down a lot of the challenges that were even more complicated as people had less familiar familiarity with how to include students with these different learn these learning differences, um, both communication, physical impairments, and so on. She had a stint where she served the Trinity Classical School in Hawaii. Um, I don't know why she left there, but she did and came back to the mainland. And she is um, in both classical Christian schools. Um, across, uh, again, influencing across the world. She's currently the head of school at Covenant Academy in Northwest Houston. And Covenant has a student support program that they don't even advertise because it is a school value that every student be brought to the apex of their ability and learning with the parents. Leslie and Dave have four children, one grandchild and two more grandbabies on the way. Leslie holds a Master of Arts in Biblical Counseling from the Master's University and a Bachelor of Science in Special Education from the University of Maryland. And so without further ado, let's jump into this amazing interview and discussion with Leslie Collins. Leslie Collins, welcome back to Basecamp Live. Thanks, Davies. It's so good to have you back. I know we were just talking, this is officially the third episode with you. This topic is Mm -hmm. such a an exciting and important topic. And it feels like about once a year, it's like, we got to check back in with each other because uh, yeah. I know there's a lot of the last couple podcasts. Um, I, I think your email and phone has blown up after the podcast. So sorry about that. Or maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> no, it is a great thing. I'm very honored. Well, tell folks a little bit again, who maybe didn't hear the other podcast, just a little bit about your background. So your first foray into classical Christian was is it 1995. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In 1995, um, Rockbridge Academy um, started um, in Millersville, Maryland. Um, and then about two years prior to that, I had been asked um, by the by the group that was beginning to found the school. Um, they said, hey, we've, we've got this idea. We've read this book by this guy, Doug Wilson. And we're wondering, is would this even work for kids um, who have disabilities? And I read it and thought, wow, this is interesting. Um, this is a really different paradigm. Um, but yeah, it totally would work. Of course it would work. It should work. It's about the kingdom of God. So there's room um, for kids with disabilities. Um, in fact, yeah. I think I would say that's a really important part that they would play. So, so um, started there and uh, the school took off and um, we had a student um, with pretty significant severe disability um, in our kindergarten classroom, I was his kindergarten teacher as well as his um, specialist, and uh, Rockbridge has seen a, a couple of, of, of 
pretty significant cases come through that where we've been able to support students all the way through graduation. And um, I'm, I'm really thrilled with the opportunity to see students um, grow in that way. But our family moved on to Hawaii um, and, and now we live in um, Houston, Texas and um, taking a, a you know, little trip down to paradise um, to help a school that was um, transitioning into a, a classical model from a traditional model. And um, in Houston, I happen um, to have just the most amazing staff and amazing board and parents. Um, and we are a small school um, and uh, we, we are doing great things. I'm excited about what God's doing in us. So when you think about special, you're talking about special needs. So that, just let's just kind of define that because I think that's part of, you know, as we've talked before in previous episodes, I think there's a very, we oversimplify this whole discussion because you either have kind of quote normal kids that can kind of quote handle the work. And then you've got other kids that have learning disabilities and these things that really would require special schools. And I think that clearly that's an incredibly um, uh, thin and inadequate definition of this because it's much more of a spectrum. So kind of explain when you talk about these needs, what do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, you okay? Yes, I had a little bit of frozen there. So, okay, here we are. Um, so I think, I think we do not do um, the classical Christian model justice when we try to put it into the category of typical versus um, um, neurodivergence. One of the newer terms that we're using is typical or neurotypical and neurodivergent, meaning um, people who aren't neurotypical. So um, you and I may or may not be neurotypical, who knows? Um, but looking at people and seeing them as a whole being um, who is yet to be um, completely um, fulfilled, as you will. A classical Christian education is essentially about the telos, isn't it? It's about bringing a person into the fullness of themselves. And I think we are narrow in our perspective when we think that everyone has to look a certain way. Um, I don't think that even within the spectrum of, of what we might call normal, that we would see that every student would engage with the, the classical curriculum in the same exact way, in the same way of people who are um, neurodivergent or, or atypical, kids with dyslexia, kids with various um, learning disabilities, maybe they have sensory processing disorders, maybe they're significantly gifted and talented, um, maybe they have um, a true diagnosis of ADHD or ADD. Um, we have a, a variety of ways in which people who are part of our schools already, whether or not they're diagnosed and identified, um, where they may engage with the material differently, but are not able to be brought into the fullness of who they are because of the way in which we're operating. And the, and the mind, I think a, a rather narrow mindset that we might have about how the classical method uh, works for all people. Right. And we're going to talk in this episode, really jump into this idea of dyslexia, which not to uh, you know give away kind of where we're going with it, but it's really a gift. It's actually an asset to our schools. Mm -hmm. And yet we are, are quick to maybe misunderstand that. Let me ask though, just back up a step, because I can think mm -hmm. about in terms of, you know, when classical Christian schools establish themselves often, at least historically, and I, and we, I would have concern if this is your only approach, but that idea of we are, we are a rigorous school. 
Um, mm-hmm. I would think that, you know, that before you can even get to this discussion of how we serve students best is really like, what kind of a classical Christian school are we? My sense is most classical Christian schools would say something in an open house, talk about being kind of for the family. This is for all all your students. We're not trying to just select the the highest day nine, the brightest. I do know of some classical Christian schools that have I've been around them and in them, and where you know they've said this is not a school for everybody. We want kids with day nine scores of like sevens and above, and this is just so clearly we're not talking about that. Would be a school that obviously can't and doesn't intend to serve everybody. But most of our schools, is that your opinion? are actually saying we are for everybody, and yet we kind of confuse because we don't really uh, have the means or desire to serve everybody? Is that, is that a true conflict? I, I, I do think that's a conflict. I think that our schools uh, are, I think that when we started out in the 90s, when, when, when classical Christian education was just getting started, I do think we had a lot of emphasis on rigor, um, and that was almost a, a tagline to our model, and I think rigor is great, but I don't, I, we do want rigor without the rigor mortis, um, but but we, uh, I, I think one of the challenges is rigor. How much rigor, and and to to what extent is that applied to each individual? And I don't want to sound progressive. I don't want to sound like everybody's on this big scope, um, but I think people are potentially. Um, making a difference, uh, make a distinction without a difference in this regard. Um, so let's just say it this way. Classical education is rigorous um, and it is about bringing students into the fullness of their potential. But that is a, a tremendous opportunity for us to come alongside and understand who they are. Um, for students who have learning disabilities, I would say that the vast majority of our schools have far more students with learning disabilities than they may want to acknowledge. Um, I only say this because I have so many schools call me and say, Leslie, we're, we're experiencing um, some challenges with our reading program. We have these great books reading lists and what we find is we have these kids, these kids that just can't um, connect with the material that we have and they're not reading at grade level. And Leslie, we just don't know what to do. We just, we know we have these great families and we don't understand how we're able to keep them together. So this families had to go to this other school and receive um, you know, a less than stellar education. And we really want them all here. And we are throwing out the baby with, with the bathwater in the sense of saying, this is the only way to look at what classical Christian education um, is about. And again, we're not talking about with, I mean, the term learning disabilities, it, it probably triggers in most people's minds. I mean, you know, very, very uh, difficult situations. Um, we're talking about kids that for all practical purposes look just like everybody else. They're <laughs> they would almost be indistinguishable, except then they're struggling maybe with reading. And then as, as we've talked about before, mm-hmm. unfortunately, because most of our teachers and staff are not trained to really interpret that or diagnose it, it's really easy as, as, as schools that sort of pound the drum of virtue and character to immediately call it a character problem or a laziness problem. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's what we tend to do. We tend to be really, really good at assigning motive where there may not be a motive. Um, it may be um, an issue of the way in which someone's brain is processing. Um, and and it is on us as educators to learn uh, and to um, diversify what we know in the world of 
um, education, we need to be reading the classics, we need to be reading about pedagogy, but we also need to be reading about neuroscience because the reality is that, that 2020 happened and we have a, a host of students who are struggling with a variety of different learning challenges and they may be even um, neurotypical kids who are years behind because of COVID and because of the challenges that have come with that. Um, so a learning disability is straight, um, straightforwardly when a student has a potential that they're not able to reach. And they may not be able to reach that potential because of the way in which a teacher is teaching, the way in which their brain is processing. Um, they may not be able to reach that potential because the materials that you're using are designed for a particular type of learner. Um, and I'm not talking about your learning style. I'm talking about your, your brain's ability to process. Yeah. Well, we're going to, in, in a bit, we're, I want to come back just to let folks know where we're going with this conversation. I, I want to really dive into dyslexia because that's that's such a, a growing uh, reality. And I think, as, as we said a minute ago, it's really mm -hmm. a gift. But I also want to come back around and, and look at this, address both teachers, because this is the dilemma. If you're a teacher, why, what tools am I supposed to use? How do I know? Is it a character issue? Is it a learning uh, disability? And then I want to talk to parents because parent, every it, it seems like in this issue, everybody is kind of, you know, it's like it's like the whole um, trying to you know eat the elephant. I mean, one person's looking at this part, another person looking at that part. Mom and dad are looking at the child at home and hearing from the school their issues, and the school is trying to interpret maybe what's going on at home. And so everybody's kind of half informed in this process. So how do we really mm -hmm. get to the bottom? We're going to get to that, but okay, let's just shift a little bit towards of of the many forms of learning disabilities, dyslexia, which I think most folks. Mm -hmm. That term would probably, if you just ask the average educator, hey, what do you know of learning disability? Oh, there's dyslexia. Uh, but other than that, and then maybe we would probably guess, so that's where you reverse your B's and your D's or something. Um, talk a little bit about what is this thing and why in the world would you call it a gift? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yes, dyslexia is far more than when B's and D's are reversed, although that is what most people think that it means. Uh, dyslexia it literally means that it can't read. And the reality um, is that many of us don't understand why that might be. Um, what teachers will undoubtedly um, go to as a, as a very common response if they are not trained is to say, well, um, sorry, Johnny, but you keep getting picked. Johnny, you're, you're just not trying hard enough. Um, Johnny's just not giving me their attention. Johnny's just not doing enough of his homework. Um, if, if Johnny and his parents would just do more practice, then Johnny would be successful. Um, and the reality is Johnny may not be able to learn how to read given the way that he's being presented. Um, so let's, uh, so Johnny's brain may be incredibly um, capable of understanding a variety of different types of um, reasoning, such as material reasoning. He may, he may have a very three-dimensional brain, which most dyslexics have a significant um, level of gifting in that. He may have um, an interconnected reasoning where he sees the bigger picture um, far closer, far faster than most other kids. He may have a narrative reasoning capacity and his ability to um, write stories and tell stories, that would be really, really helpful um, for a variety of, of, of um, situations in his future years. And he may have a dynamic understanding of knowing, so where is this leading to the bottom line? Um, these are the types of strengths that are very common among dyslexic minds. In fact, they're in they're described um, at length in a, in a fantastic book that we're both 
um, under, uh, underhandedly referring to called the dyslexic advantage, uh, where we begin to see people who have dyslexia not as, oh, you poor thing, gee, I'm so sorry you're one of those kids, but wow, what gift have we not learned how to unpack yet? Yeah. And that really is where we need to be heading. And I think that we do a disservice to what God um, has given to us as the image of himself in each student that we have when we don't look at a student and say, what gifts yet are to be unpacked for you? Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, again, that's the, the, I think the, if I can use the term evolution that classical Christian education is coming through that we've, we've modeled so much based on very static forms of classrooms with, you know, the kids are sitting in rows, which is honestly a very Dewey and progressive way, even though we are always belittling Dewey and his progressives, yet we do 50 minute passing periods and we sit in rows. But nonetheless, that's not the point of this, other than to say, there are certainly a lot of variations to your point in how mm-hmm. students engage learning. And I, I found to your, this book, I, 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 again, I will put it in the show notes, but dyslexic advantage subtitles, unlocking the hidden potential of the dyslexic mm-hmm. brain. What's shocking to me is again, there are people that are dyslexic, like get this Albert Einstein, Bill Gates, mm-hmm. Richard Branson, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, yes. half of the employees at NASA, these are all dyslexic people, and yet we, the classical Christian folks, would go, eh, not really sure you're going to work in our model. And like, what What in the world? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, and, and that's only to name a few. Um, the reality is that dyslexia is a gift. Um, if you had a six foot five person walk into your school and you could tell that they have good ball handling skills, I'm pretty sure you'd be looking for an opportunity to make sure they got you know, onto your basketball team. Um, the same thing, if you see a kid in, in, who's walking into your admissions testing uh, and you are putting, I hope, your very best people in front of that admissions testing process, and you see a kid who has struggled to read in different environments, um, who um, has phenomenal um, alacrity in understanding puzzles and their ability to maybe they take apart things and put them back together and you start to put these things together and you start to say hmm I wonder if maybe the reason you haven't learned to read um, effectively is because you haven't been presented with a curriculum and and a pedagogy that allows you to to have your gifts access so a three-dimensional brain needs a three-dimensional method to learn to read yeah. But typical brain of a neurotypical child would be, may I just say, word oriented. And they don't need a three dimensional method of learning to read in order to learn because that the, the typical method that most of our teachers would use, because I would venture to say that most of our teachers are not dyslexic um, because Teaching in a classroom probably isn't the gift um, or the best place for a gifted dyslexic. Um, They would probably be more of your CEO, um, your entrepreneur, your architect, um, NASA um, engineers, but they're not going to be in the classroom. And so you've got these word-oriented, beautiful brains of teachers who look at a student who is not like them and say, there must be something wrong. Yeah, yep. I'll say... Wow, what a gift. I can't wait to get this kid into interventions and learn to read and so they can thrive. Yeah, well, we're going to take a break and come back. And I want to focus on teachers who, if they're teachers and and educators listening, I mean, I think 
perhaps what you may be thinking if you're listening is, okay, I I, I like that idea. I want to be kind of all things for all people and I want to serve the kingdom. But right now I'm having trouble with a one-dimensional classroom, maybe two. Now you want a 3D classroom and, you know, how many hours do I have? And I'm already overwhelmed. And I mean, there's just all kinds of practical. I mean, you think about public schools, you know, if there's anything to admire, it's, well, they've got, you know, five special need people and all these tracks and all this kind of thing. And so what's reasonable? I want to, I want to come, you know, come back to that mm-hmm. after the break, because I think that's where the rubber meets the road as educators. And eventually it obviously impacts decisions parents make, which we'll talk um, later on. So let's take a quick break and we'll come right back. Hey there, I'm Jeremy Tate, founder of the Classic Learning Test, or CLT. Here at CLT, we are big fans of the Basecamp Live podcast, and we're excited to be joining Basecamp in the renewal for classical education. In addition to our beautiful suite of assessments for grades 7 through 12 and soon to be 3 through 6 as well, we have exciting new things going on at CLT. Please check out our new website where you can find out about the Anchored Podcast, the CLT Journal, and upcoming test dates. Head over to www.cltexam.com slash Basecamp. Again, that's www.cltexam.com slash Basecamp. Whether you're a homeschool parent, a teacher, or a school administrator, we would love to support you and your mission fulfilling a classical vision for education. So Leslie, uh, right before the break, we were talking about the the probability that most people listening are thinking, this is, sure, we're kingdom-minded people. Why would we want to exclude any child? We want something for everybody. But the rubber meets the road for the educator, especially thinking about dyslexia and, and classroom environment. Um, you know, Talk about your own experience. I mean, you're not in a massive school, and I think most people listening, there are a lot of startup schools or a lot of small schools with one teacher who's already feeling overwhelmed and to make any you know, adjustments or remediation in the classroom just seems completely impossible. So I want, let's look at that. And then I do want to come back to just how do we know? Because I think that's the question is, as an educator, how do you really know if that student uh, truly has a learning disability or is it a character issue? But let's, again, let's start with just this question of what's feasible? How do you do it in a smaller school? Well, our school is about 160 kids. So um, I would say if we can do it, anybody else can do it. There are lots of schools that are much, much larger than we are and have far more resources. Um, And I would say, um, you know, many of our schools, we are very scrappy, aren't we? We take whatever scraps are are given to us and we make the best um, with what we can. Uh, I would say there's a lot that small schools can do and they should not... um, I, I just can't render under Caesar um, that which should be under the King, um, King Jesus. So if there's if there is a student that that where there is a fantastic fit as a as a school for this family, uh, I don't want to see that student have to go somewhere else because they can't find some services. There are a lot of things that schools can do. Um, there are a lot of different resources available to them, and you don't have to have a full time person. Um, being able to provide this, you can work with what you have. Um, our school, there are a lot of great programs out there, but what students um, with dyslexia, but by the way, a lot of different learning disabilities as well, what they need is a reading approach that is explicit, systematic, structured, sequential, multi-sensory, individualized, 
um, diagnostic and evidence-based. And the, the, all of those descriptions um, are, are the way in which you can identify a really healthy and robust reading program that will work um, as a multi-sensory approach for all learners. A lot of our schools are using Orton-Gillingham um, Orton-Gillingham is an approach. It's not a particular curriculum or method. There are a lot of there are a lot of different methods out there that use the Orton-Gillingham approach. And everything I just described is the Orton-Gillingham approach. Um, many of our schools are using Orton-Gillingham just within their classrooms for the typical learner. But there are ways to to bring into your school a small tutoring. I'm using something like what we are using, which is the Barton method, um, which is an Orton-Gillingham um, approach. And it is a curriculum that honestly, our high school students are capable of implementing when we provide the training. We have different ways that, pe that parents can choose. Do you want to have um, a trained teacher or do you want to have a, a student um, implementing this? Once you understand and have done the diagnostic work, it's not rocket science to implement uh, a really well-designed uh, resource such as the Barton Method. Um, and for our families, that has been transformative. I, I will tell you a story of a young boy who um, really struggled in our pre-K. Um, he really struggled emotionally. In kindergarten, he really struggled um, with understanding his letters, um, very significant behavior problems, um, aggressive, uh, a bit angry, emotional. Uh, and I have a dear friend who is now with the Lord. Her name um, was Lee Ellis. And she is the reason for what our school is capable of doing right now, because she was um, incredibly ahead of her time and way ahead of us, at least 20 miles ahead of us. And she laid out this, this program that we have. And it's, it's thanks to her that we know what we know. Um, but she looked at, at him and said, that kid is dyslexic. The reason that he's not being identified is because he has such a great memory. He's faking you guys out. Just give me a little bit of time with him and I will do some diagnostic work with him. And, and lo and behold, we got him into intervention and dramatic change in his life, hmm. dramatic change in his life. He is no longer emotional. He is no longer angry. He's no longer aggressive. He pays attention because his brain has learned how to understand the language. Now he still struggles. His brain doesn't process words. And we are a very heavily word-based culture as a school, but he is thriving as a learner and now loves to read. So are you, so in terms of, again, we're going to come to parents, but with a classroom teacher. So first of all, across the spectrum of all of the curriculum, the spotlight ought to begin with reading. It sounds like, I mean, that's the, I mean, it may, may be, a, I mean, so for a dyslexic student to be in a math class, I'm sure there's some unique aspects to teaching math, but reading is above it all. It makes sense. So, so for teachers to be trained like at Orton Gillingham, that would be a practical step. Is that right? Yes, very practical. And many of our teachers have more training in Orton-Gillingham than, than they realize because many of our schools are using approaches um, that are Orton-Gillingham based. Um, but if they are not, it doesn't, regardless of what approach is being used in the classroom, what teachers need to understand is just because a kid isn't doing well does not mean he's after uh, your attention or he's being a, a, a problem. It may not be an issue of character. And we need to be very, very, very careful not to attribute to 
a child's character, a motive of disobedience um, that may or may not be there because God has told us not to exasperate children. And that's a very significant charge to us yeah. that we <clears throat> not be exasperating them. Yeah, I've always, it's always, this conversation's always struck me of the, of a real situation we had years ago and I was had a school of a, a grammar school kid that was not, presumably not paying attention. It turned out to mo- both the embarrassment of the parents and even us that they couldn't see the board. They just hadn't had their eyes checked. I mean, it's just so basic. And they just think, oh my goodness, <laughs> if they can't see the board and they're getting reprimanded, how much more if they've got a right. dyslexia or something? We've not. And so mention too, Leslie, because in terms of kind of when these uh, challenges manifest themselves, I, I think I've heard you say before, I mean, certainly as early as like second grade, definitely it's kind of set by fourth grade. So this is stuff we got to get on mm-hmm. early, right? It is. It is. Um, evidence would show over years and years that when a child has reached fourth grade, the trajectory that they're on may be the trajectory and is likely to be the trajectory that they will stay on. In other words, if a child is not um, thriving by fourth grade, they may just um, peter off and become disinterested in school. <coughs> Excuse me. So, and that's yeah. Concern. We need to make sure that um, at our school, our, our, our big charge to our second grade teachers is no child gets past you. Um, you we can have kids that we forgot, not forgot, or we, we can have ch- kids that we didn't identify, but not past second grade. And so there's a huge amount of responsibility, which is great because these women are on it. They are focused. They want to make sure they see those kids. What we want to have is an intervention plan in place. But when I say they don't get past you, what I mean is no one goes into third grade without an intervention plan um, if they need one. So that what that means is pre-K, K, one and two are heavily, heavily, heavily focused on identifying kids with any kinds of issues. What we know about education, what we know about the human brain is that early identification is the key. So, so whether dyslexia, whether it's a speech and language delay, whether it's a motor issue, we want to make sure that we're attending, uh, getting parents attentive to that issue. So it strikes me, these are fairly, you know, complicated matters to discern. And so I think about, again, is, you know, head of school, you know, hiring teachers and, you know, it's it's always hard to find um, people that check all the boxes that, that love classical Christian education, that love the Lord, that have experience. And so the the law of average is that we have a lot of teachers that have never been trained in this, nor do they feel like they have time. So in your school, do you, is there a process whereby maybe once a year students are, are kind of taken out of the classroom, evaluated through a process of people that know what to look for and then put back in? Is that how that works? Well, that's a great question. Um, the it's not a taken out. It's a constant. What it really all amounts to is you want your teachers to be experts. You want them to be experts in, in what is typical development for that age. Um, we can't just have um, our grammar school classroom teachers, and we are primarily focused on grammar school at this point. Um, we can't just have them be experts in Shirley English or um, you know whatever, you know Singapore math. They ha- actually have to become experts in knowing what is the frame of the child. We are teaching children. That is what we're teaching. We don't teach third grade, we're teaching third graders. And we have to know what is appropriate for that age. Many times I think we do a disservice of what it means to actually be educators because we we forget we're not just, it's not the books, it's not the stuff, it's the kids. 
And we do need to educate ourselves. I would say, you know, you can become an institutional member um, for um, less than, uh, you know, like about 600 bucks or, or even less than that as an individual member for a dyslexic advantage and have access to a, a host of different courses that are right there on the on the um, web site, just there waiting to help yeah. everyday teachers get more skills. And, and they might say, well, I don't have time for that. Well, guess what? I have news for you. You probably have more kids in your classroom at a classical Christian school that are that are atypical than you might think, because I would venture to say, and this is what I've seen, is that it's a small minority of our families that come to our schools and say, I am 100% sold out on classical Christian education already before I walked in your door or or what went onto your website. I am 100% sold out on the worldview um, and why that's so necessary for my child to be under a, a Christian worldview and all things. A lot of times what they will say is, I was attracted to your school because it's smaller. And if I had had an education like this, I would have thrived. I right. wish I had <clears throat> education yeah, it, or yeah. I needed this and I didn't get it. And what I would encourage us to be thinking about when we hear that in admissions is, ah, that's very helpful information. What didn't you get that you needed? Right. Well, it's a all- lot of times... I'm sorry, Davies. A lot of times what we'll find is if you dig deeper, you will discover that actually maybe mom and dad have some unidentified um, <laughs> challenges that um, that a savvy admissions um, counselor can can help to see and a, and a savvy tester can help to um, put a thing, put a finger to. Uh, not as a way of accusing, but as a way of coming alongside. Yeah. And then them. Now, there's some, you know, it's interesting you make that comment. I, I, again, there, we could go for hours on these topics, but I, you do wonder what what aspects of something like dyslexia do have a genetic tie to them. And so if you, mom mm-hmm. and dad show up and again, mm-hmm. maybe they didn't like to read stuff. So they kind of figure their kids aren't going to like to read stuff or whatever, however they, they explain it. So that's an interesting point. Let me back up to, so back to admissions, because again, I think one of the um, the irony of our classical Christian school is that, to your point, parents choose us because we are smaller and presumably better individualized attention, yet the irony is we are often very, you know, kind of one one size fits all in sort of how we deliver that smaller classroom. So, But the problem, it seems like, too, is if the if the issues aren't always manifesting until, let's say, second grade, and most of the admission is happening, you know, when they're five, six years old going into kindergarten uh, or earlier— um, you, you just, the, it's just highly probable you're not going to catch any of this through the admissions process. Or, or is that not the case? And should the admission process be more rigorous? And I'll just footnote by saying, I know, you know, the, I've seen very dramatic differences in different schools I've been a part of where when I was in Atlanta, we actually had all applicant families go out to an educational psychologist organization that did this for private schools in Atlanta. And they did a very robust 360 screening. So we had all mm-hmm. kinds of information before the child even was considered for applicants as opposed to other schools I've seen and been a part of that are much more just kind of organic. Let's just sit the kid in a room and have them read something and decide if they're reading well. So there's got to be a better way to do that, I think. Yeah, I think your admissions um, testing is 
absolutely the first and best place to be seeing these things. And you want your absolute best people um, conducting those. Um, I have my grammar school principal doing all of the admissions testing for our grammar school and our, our, um, our upper school principal doing the admissions testing um, because they, as, as you would expect, are the best um, two teachers that we have. And they know a lot having tested a lot of people. Uh, I think one thing that's really, um, you are able to begin to see things when you have years and years of experience and you know what you're looking for. Um, someone could go to, you could um, just Google right now, someone could Google um, um, Barton signs of dyslexia, warning signs of dyslexia. And, and um, it's a PDF that uh, someone could just print out and you could walk through that and people who are listening could listen, could walk through that themselves and say, oh, wow, I see that there may, may or may not be some connection to my own family. When you start to know what you're looking for, um, you are able to see that as a constellation of things to look for to not rule out people, but bring them in. There are kids that we have where to do it correctly for us is to get that kid in intervention in kindergarten. Wow. We, and before their first six weeks of, of school to actually have already been identified, because why would you waste that? A lot of kids with dyslexia have real issues with trauma um, related to school. If you talk with someone who has some kind of dyslexic history, um, they're going to tell you about a trauma. They're yeah. going to tell you about a teacher that told them they weren't trying hard enough and they were trying their level best. Um, we need to be better than that. We, isn't classical Christian education about um, producing students who are more fully human? Um, we believe that the humanities make us humane. Um, are we in our process of admissions employing humane methods in the way that we see students? I would like to challenge us in that. Um, I do think that some of our, I would love to have an educational psychologist uh, looking at all of my students. My goodness, I could never afford that. Um, but what I can do is provide more and more and more and more training for, for my teachers so that they are so skilled. Um, they, they, they never see the world the same. All they see is you know, new things to, to develop in students. So I know your I know your emails always light up after these interviews. Are you personally offering training? What do you what would you have to offer a school? Hmm. Well, I think there's a lot out there. Um, we are actually in the process of talking about how can we come alongside. I do know that the um, Society for Classical Learning is offering some training, which is um, vastly needed. Um, I do know, uh, and probably we'll put this in the show notes again from our last podcast. Um, I just shared a, a little course in Thinkific on a Thinkific platform so people could have resources. There are so many resources out there and parents are so willing to pay for them. Um, and you know what, if somebody doesn't have the funds and they have a kid um, who's struggling, that is just about the easiest development officer project you've ever had. Hey, Mr. CEO of some very expensive company, I have an opportunity for you to bless the socks off some kid. Would you help us? It is not enough for us to say we don't have the resources. Is it a can't or is it a won't? Which one is it? Because that's right. what we're trying to learn in well, the classroom. Yeah. And I, I want to again take a quick break and we'll come back and talk kind of about how this is impacting parents. But I think, again, there are a lot of... Um, sacred cows, I think, or maybe fears it just as our schools that we, again, don't want to 
compromise what our perceived, you know, high rigor, high thinking type of school that we are. And I think that it, it's, as we've talked about, there's a, there's a practical challenge of how do we do this with all the other demands in the classroom. But I think there's also just that kind of branding fear that we can't, you know, we want to, we want to be the school that's, uh, you know, high achieving in a world of mediocrity. And this looks like a progressive kind of thing to do. So I think those are bigger conversations that I encourage schools to have. And so let's, let's, in this kind of final segment, really, you know, again, parents listening, thinking, Again, uh, maybe you're noticing some things in your own child. Maybe the school is not necessarily kind of engaging this as a active concern. How can parents really both take care of examining within the walls of their own home, but also kind of come alongside their school and gently encourage and partner with them? So let's take a, a quick break and we'll be right back. It's time for another quick Classical Christian Q&A with Dr. Tim Dernlin. So Tim, our question today is, why is the study of logic so important? And again, in our schools, we have these, in the trivium portion of it, the grammar and the logic and the rhetoric. So this is kind of the middle school years. Why do we teach logic? So it's um, informal and formal logic that are typically taught. And logic is the, the formal study and a stage of education like you talked about. We see reasoning, um, principles, criteria, valid inferences, all kinds of things that help us understand truth. So we, we really want to get at truth. There is an objective truth, not just a subjective um, uh, reality out there. So the study of logic, logic helps uh, students in a classical Christian education to not only reason well, but also write papers well, to express themselves well, um, to think critically, and then going into higher levels of math, it's helpful, going into uh, lab reports and doing, doing lab studies in science and, um, and just really reasoning through an unreasonable time in America and throughout uh, the world right now. It's, it's, it's fascinating. It's wonderful. I, I remember, I remember um, during Habits Every Time, especially around the election season there's you know presidential debates going on and and watching our our kids not just my personal kids but classical christian kids that start deconstructing you know that's a that's a you know non sequitur there i mean they're throwing out these terms and and it's true just the amount of illogical especially today it's just you know barbarians basically shouting at each other so wouldn't it be amazing if we could raise up a generation to think logically and reason well and 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 as uh, as these students reason well at that middle school time, they want to challenge their parents because they can catch them in some fallacies. So we make sure we teach scripture too to honor your father and mother. That's so. great. <laughs> that that and we offer a logic boot camp for parents to help uh, work your way through the arguments coming from your children because it can be intimidating when they have these skills. So very yeah. good. Thanks so much. Check out Dr. Dernland's book on 100 questions on classical Christian education. Got a question for him to answer on Basecamp Live? Send the question to info at Basecamp Live or leave us a message by voice or text on the Basecamp hotline, 833-595-2929. That's 833-595-2929. We look forward to hearing from you. Leslie, you know, schools are such an interesting uh, business model, if you will, because you're talking about educators uh, training children, but there is the whole population of the parents. And of course, in classical Christian schools, we are in loco parentis. The, the, the heart and soul of our schools is partnering with our families 
And yet I think for parents thinking about this discussion, there must be some listening thinking, you know, I think maybe that is, maybe it's dyslexia uh, or maybe going on with my, my child and I'm just not sure where to go. Are there resources one can um, do in your own home just to kind of de- figure this out? I mean, obviously, again, you can go out and get kind of professional consulting, but what, what, what advice do you have for parents? Mm, that's a great question. I, I definitely think that parents need to um, to know that they are their child's um, most important and best advocate uh, and that it actually is on us. It actually is on us to say the hard things. Um, schools are longing to partner with parents. That is, I know that's the heart of our school's mission. I don't know of a classical Christian school that doesn't have parent partnership at the at its core value. Um, I, I think that parents need to not just push off when par- when parents uh, have a sense that their child is being misunderstood or have a sense that um, their child's um, character is being pl- being called into question over an issue in which they also struggled, it it behooves them then to be the advocate and be the one that says, I just don't feel like we're getting it. I just don't feel like we're getting it. Now, the school has a service that it is um, offering and schools cannot do more than what they've committed to. Parents do need to accept the expertise of the school. Um, If someone came to me and said, hey, I have an IEP from the local school district. Um, How are you going to meet this? I would say, thanks for sharing. Um, What we'd like to do is is be able to see how your student would do in our classroom with our situation. And then we'll talk about an IEP that we develop rather than somebody else's recipe for success. Um, So I think we need to dance lightly on that. I would go to, for parents who have struggles um, wondering if their kid has dyslexia, I think they should do some self-examination first. I would go back to that. Um, I would I would Google Barton uh, dyslexia signs uh, and warning signs and, and look for the PDF. And often I just put PDF in there as well, just so I know I get it. And then download that baby and start looking at those um, those warning signs and see, does this apply to me? Does this apply to my kid? She will give you warning signs from early, early childhood, um, elementary, um, middle school, high school, and adulthood so that you can take a look at yourself and then you can take a look at your student. And and if your student or you have three or more of those um, within that those categories, your child may be falling into the, the constellation of dyslexia. And not to look at that as, oh my word, I'm dyslexic. This is terrible. Look at it as, okay, this is, this is a gift that I don't yet know how to steward. And then get, get thee quickly into a place where you can learn how to steward that, whether it's your current school or not. Yeah. I'll tell you that um, I'm a slow adopter on things. My background is not in dyslexia. My background is um, more in the lines of autism and really severe um, disabilities. So I had to have my dear friend Lee Ellis hit me over the head a number of times where I would miss things as a head. And she would say, you're missing it here. You're missing it here. And I was very grateful. Um, Before she died, I finally caught everything she was trying to throw at me, which I was very, very grateful for. Um, But sometimes you do have to beat us heads over the head. um, And eventually we might listen. Uh, And there are tons of resources out there. So just keep learning and keep advocating for your child. So what do you say to a parent who maybe their first and second born were pretty, uh, I mean, 
uh, you know, just natural readers, and they were they they tended to just sort of flow naturally with a classical Christian. And then the third born comes along, and is just uh, you know doesn't want to sit still for a book, and maybe it's a, a little boy, and he'd rather be outside running around. And it's real easy, I think, to uh, again either character issues that we've talked about or. Um, maybe saying, well, that's dyslexia. But how do you know? Because, again, some, some children that are not dyslexic are, are just maybe not as predisposed to read, and it's just not an interesting uh, focus for them. How, how do you discern these things? Yeah, it's a challenge. And, and we do know that dyslexia and ADD um, tend to um, co- coincide often. Uh, and uh, I, I, what I would say is, it's really important that we know the student um, that, and I do want to underscore character issues are real. Sure. Issues are real. um, And we need to always be looking at the heart, but what we need to do is make sure that we have all the lenses that we need. Um, Sometimes we only have one lens. Um, If if, just because your older two students have been, you know, swimming all, all along in the classroom and your third child is different does not mean that number one, it's your fault or his fault or, um, or the school's fault. It may just be an opportunity to understand what is it about this student. Um, you, can, uh, you can get a lot of help by looking into um, getting a diagnostic evaluation, an ed psych eval, um, that's very costly. Um, you can look for a, um, someone who is a diagnostician to, to um, be able to give that resource to you. You can go to the public schools. Generally speaking, they're not going to give you all of the information. They're going to give you some of the information. I don't find that to be a helpful resource. Um, I would say that if you have this third child who is struggling, you want to get to the heart of that. And there are, and, and I would look around into the world of different Orton-Gillingham approach tutors in your area, and you can find them all on the interwebs. Um, to to get the help that you need. And if it means helping your school and coming alongside them um, and, and advocating for your student and for others, well, that may be just what God's calling you to do right now. Yeah. Well, what a, and how freeing again to not determine that this is because as a parent, you've messed up or as the school that you've, you know, that this child's just being disobedient. And, and, and I, I just love this idea that this is a gift. I mean, it's like, do we want kids that are left-handed in our school? Well, yeah, and <laughs> that's probably yeah. Good. As a lefty, I would say yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. probably okay. They yeah, the pencil's a little different. It's over on the other hand, but I think we can work with that. So, but I do know that these are this is a weighty topic. I know, Leslie, we just sort of skimmed yet again across this, but I hope the encouragement to someone listening is to, as an educator, to stop and and to consider maybe there is room even in our very very small startup school to make these uh, accommodations, and at the same time as a parent to, to lean in and to be encouraged because it's, it's complicated. And again, I think it's easy as we've talked about to just sort of make this very black and white, or honestly, as I think about this conversation, I think of over the years, situations where families did go out and get an ed psych and, and even have the psychologist come in and talk to the school and administrator. And, you know, they had these 10 uh, remediation things that they expected us to do that we're thinking we don't have, we can't upside down our entire classroom. And so there's this, you know, misunderstanding on the part of a lot of people out in the psychology world that do not understand classical Christian education. So then that makes us mm-hmm. resistant. So it's like this mm-hmm. <laughs> catch 22 of miscommunication sometimes. Yeah. And you know, the reality is that um, the most classical Christian schools are very devoted to um, student um, 
learning that that has small classrooms, teachers who love them and know them, a place where they are seen and a place where they are known. And our schools actually do this very, very well. Um, and so, yes, there are a lot of things that educational um, psychologists don't know about our classrooms, but the majority of the accommodations and requests that they're making are already existing in our classrooms because our classrooms really are about excellence. My attraction to classical Christian education was because as a special educator, I saw that what I was about, which was systematic and focused and um, looking at the individual gifts of each child, was very part and parcel of the center core of classical Christian education. So for me, those two were one in the same. Yeah. And the resources that we use in the classical Christian world, our, our resources are geared um, to a very significant special ed benefit. Um, the Shirley method, which many of our schools use, Brenda Shirley's a special educator. Um, a lot of the, uh, the resources that we're already using are designed to help kids. Yeah. Um, we're more capable than we give ourselves credit for. Yeah. That's a great word of encouragement because, again, I definitely don't want anybody leaving this thinking, wow, if you have even slight dyslexia or, or issues, our schools are really never going to be able to serve you. You're right. Even on a bad day, our schools are set up really well for addressing these unique individual wirings of students. And if we can really crack the code on how to do it better, all the better. So, Leslie, thanks again. Yeah. This is, again, a huge topic. If folks want to follow up with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, yeah, I'd love to hear from them. Leslie.collins at covenantcypress.org. Okay, perfect. Well, we'll put some uh, other resources if you want to send them over into the show notes. We'll have that available as well. But Leslie, Absolutely. thanks so much. We'll keep checking back with you. This is certainly a big topic in our world today. And I appreciate you being a voice of encouragement to our schools and to our parents. Well, my pleasure. Thanks so much for what you do, Davies. You are welcome, Leslie. Thanks. Hey there, Basecamp Live listeners. This is Davy's daughter, Hannah, here. And I want to congratulate this amazing podcast on almost five years of incredible content, enriching interviews, and over 200 episodes. So that has brought so much encouragement to people. And thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for supporting this message, this mission. And there are a couple ways that you can help in sharing that message. First of all, please leave a five-star review on whatever app you are using to listen to this podcast. You can also share it with a friend. That's a great way to get the message out about Basecamp Live. And of course, share your story with us at info at basecamplive.com. There we'll also answer all your questions and more. And any topics that you'd like to hear too, please send them there to info at basecamplive.com. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks.